0: How many have heard Dwight and Nadine speak before? Yeah, you're on in for a treat. Those of you who have not, you're gonna to enjoy today's session. I've had an honor and privilege to work with the two of you for a few years now through the rural uh, uh, seminar that we do called Infuse there in Pawnee. Uh, who's been to the Infuse conference? All right, awesome, we're gonna to try to reboot it, uh, Lord willing, um, in the fall, we'll see. Uh, COVID did a number on us, but, uh, Dwight and Nadine, Nadine have been a part of that, I think from day one. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, one. yeah. Yeah. And it's been a great relationship. and I really love what they're doing. And I do have a formal bio and introduction that I'm, in, I'm told to read and read fast. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. We're so thankful and privileged to have the co-executive directors of Rural Advancement, Dwight and Nadine. Is it Sandoz? Yep. Yeah, that's right. Oh, all right. I did it right. With us today. They both grew up in agriculture families and met at Trinity Bible College while traveling together on a music ministry team. Dwight began serving as a youth pastor in a rural community and together they have served as rural leaders in local, district, national, and educational venues. Dwight was the superintendent of the Nebraska district and together they served the pastors and churches of that district. Also, together they developed the only Master of Arts degree in rural ministry in the country with TBC Graduate School in Ellendale, North Dakota. Rural Advancement is a nationwide movement for our AG churches with a goal to mobilize 10,000 workers for the rural church. And so, this workshop is part of Superintendent Phil's vision to provide resources for the rural churches and the pastors. So, please, let's welcome Dwight and Nadine as they come. Amen. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much. Uh, I just want to, if you have this card, we'd love to have you fill it out. You don't have to, but it puts you in for a drawing for a, a half tuition scholarship for a uh for the rural, uh, rural master's program we lead. We hope to do it here in your district. So that means the rural church that we choose would be actually here. Uh, the uh, The cost of the program every pastor that's in ministry uh, gets a twenty five percent discount. So that means it moves to about seventeen thousand dollars for a forty eight credit degree. That's an incredible. Uh, that's that's not seventeen thousand dollars a year. That's seventeen thousand dollars. And the scholarship we're going to draw one tomorrow. The scholarship we giveaway is for a half ride scholarship. That means it's worth about. About almost twelve thousand dollars. So, grab one of those, Jason. And uh, so that's a little bit about that. You can ask us more about that. Uh, Nadine and I have been married. Come on in. Come right up to the front. There's always room in a Pentecostal church in the front. So, (laughs) (laughs) Pentecostal churches take the back row first, and normally that's it works. But we've been married. uh, Next year will be forty years. So we've been in ministry together a long time and uh, we have seven grown children and some people at the table were bragging about um, their nine grandchildren so we just didn't say anything because we're 17 and growing we had three grandkids in the last year and so uh, uh, but we have a wonderful time. If you think a house is loud at your house, you wait till you have seventeen grandkids there. And the new thing to volume. Eleven and under. Uh, and they're eleven and under. So <laughs> it's an exciting time. There is more energy than you could ever believe in that place. Yep. So Okay. What else you need us, A We're
2: gonna have a great time today. It's gonna be and, fun.
1: And Nadine was a uh, women's ministry director for years, uh, ran a school of ministry. Uh, She's done tons of stuff with me, so we are partners in ministry for uh, all these years. We're talking about Illinois rural communities and Illinois rural churches. So a lot of people say, why would you invest your life in a small town? Uh, Why would you go give your life in that small town America? Uh, Nadine's going to show us this slide a little bit about what uh, America looks like for density of population.
2: So if you look at the blue squares, those are the urban counties of America and then starting from the lightest color up through red it starts from uh two people or less per square mile up to then it it gets higher and higher so you can kind of look at where you are where you where you live and see approximately how many people per square mile live in your county
1: of course a lot of people in nebraska are in the two or less per square mile Uh, so that that is uh, how some of it is but there is great ministry in every place. Um, you can always come up to the front, Bob. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not picking See, on this you. This is why at church every Sunday morning I say you leave the back two rows <laughs> empty. <laughs> <laughs> well, this and,
3: wasn't-
1: and some of our people listen. <laughs> uh,
2: and make sure if you didn't get a book, when you go out, grab a book.
1: And in case I forget... Uh, Mostly what we're going to talk about is mobilizing people for the rural church, this whole raising up leaders. The rural church is an awesome place to raise up leaders. And um, Two of those people that are partnering with us in this district, Bob, go ahead and stand up again since you just got to sit down, and Stephen Magoo. Okay? Uh, if, uh, there's a whole piece called Rural 311. It's about raising up leaders for the rural church, and these are our contacts in your district working to raise up people who raise up people who raise up people for the rural church.
2: So as we know, rural church or communities are vastly different. This is just a list of a few of them but your community is probably different than the one just down the road and uh, Carl Bader says the smaller the community the more uh, diverse or the more uh, uh, unlike the next one and unpredictable it is from uh, comparatively to an urban community. There are certain things that are going to be the same wherever you go, even out of America, going to other countries, where a rural community can be vastly different. Think of three things that are unique about your community. Then tell somebody, um, well, if you came with them, don't tell them. Tell somebody else in the room. Uh, Three things unique about
3: your community. We have this mascot.
1: We do this. All rural communities have something unique about it. But tell near you. What those three things are.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> they
2: just, just talk to somebody around. There's somebody near you.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah.
3: Two towns over, does
2: not matter.
3: So we bust them across. We bust them
0: across another town. Yeah, turn down. Let's Okay.
3: Okay.
1: Okay, now a lot of people, a lot of people think, well, rural is rural, is rural, is rural. But uh, we just did a survey with Global University. Uh, Global's rolling out a new rural uh, curriculum. And so we've been partnering with them, and we did this survey. Some of you filled that out because Illinois had been a good response from Illinois. But uh, uh, one of the things that, that uh, our, we have a researcher that's not rural. He's urban. And as he read through that, he said he was shocked to find that as, as you as rural pastors responded, that if you've seen one rural community, you've seen one rural community. You haven't seen all of them. Right? So when we say that there's cowboy farming, fishing, industrial, native, American, logging, Hispanic, scenic, those are all much different. So sometimes people, when I was in the district office, would, uh, a church in the Sandhills in Nebraska would open up. Those churches were very ranch-oriented, uh, large livestock operations and they was uh, a, a person might come They're to here, in
2: that and, white left so in level. that in place it shows
1: less than two people per square mile and they say you know I'm gonna do good and I could do well in that environment uh, because I I came from a farm I understand farming well in the livestock country in Nebraska if you want to insult somebody you call them a farmer, farmer,
3: farmer
1: or use other words with that and so that, <laughs> uh, a, a rancher is uh, in their minds is a cut above a farmer and so the way that, so it's a cultural difference. And, and so they're just not the same.
2: So why do we do rural ministry? Rural ministry is so effective in touching and raising up people for ministry. And just like we uh, rural raises uh, food for the nation and for around the world, also it raises people for ministry for around the world.
1: So the, the historic way is, like I, I mentioned to some of the people that came earlier, one of the rural churches we visit, seven of the pastors from that section came out of one church. Mm-hmm. Because rural has this a way, a way of raising up people. Your superintendent, Phil Snyder, just minutes ago said, the church he was raised in sent out 22 pastors for ministry mm-hmm. from that church. Three of your, pres- of your presbyters in this district at one time all came
2: out of one church
1: that raised them up for ministry.
2: Amen. So there, there's something important that we don't look at our place of ministry as second rate because it's in a rural community. There's a word called tapophilia. It's the love of the place and love of the place that God sent you. And it's easy to think, well, if I was over here, it would be easier. If I had these amenities in my community, it would be better. But If we follow what Jesus did, we love the place where he sends us to. In the bottom word here, the ecclesy culture, it means that an authentic meeting and loving the congregation where we're at while still dreaming of where God is calling them, living and being the gospel in your location. So as we uh, have Jesus flow out of us, we love the people that are around us and we, one um, one church that uh, is a, some friends of ours. They have a big heart and the name of their town. And I, I think that that's so. We need to have that in everything that we do. That we love our town. We love who they are and the idiosyncrasies of that community.
1: And so they're not the same. Uh, Brad Roth has written a bit about this. Uh, uh, we normally have get, uh, Brad as a guest for several hours in one of our. Uh, master Sessions. Brad is Mennonite and uh, pastors of Mennonite Church in Moundridge, Kansas. A great author wrote a book called God's Country. I'd recommend that book and this is a quote from that book. So, uh, Helps us understand loving the place where God called us to be. And, and God wants us to love those places. So uh, the, the need for rural ministry. Here's some of the needs for rural ministry. So, uh, rural communities have increasingly expanded each year, creating greater need for Roman mi- uh, missionaries. So, in 2016, the rural church went from shrinking, or the rural community went from shrinking, began to grow just a little bit. There was remote working, so people could go, they could live in, in rural and still do their work from other places, especially if they had high speed internet. Then something happened amazing. COVID upset the whole apple cart. The typical rural pastor that we talk to across America tells us, you cannot buy a house in our town houses are filled up is that the case for many of you so houses that used to languish on the market weeks months lower the price lower the price finally they sell a pastor in kansas told us that uh, they went from that to the typical house in their town sells within 12 hours for more than that it's a different thing acreages are crazy Uh, did you know that young people ages 20 to 35 approximately that age their attitude to living in rural Only 20% preferred to live in rural, which would be about where uh, the national average was, about one-fifth of people live rural, to now about a third in one year, they changed that much. So rural that used to be dowdy and dull and why would you like to live in that little town? Is rural is safe and secure. Your kids can ride their bikes everywhere, they go to school, all of those things. So we have a, a, a demographic that's coming to rural. So our need to plant strong churches, to pastor strong churches, and plant churches is much, much stronger.
2: So rural churches mentor and they mobilize people for ministry. And maybe, how many of you uh, grew up in a rural church yourself? Or had some influence by that? Oftentimes a rural church mobilizes people for ministry in a way because they're more relationally connected. They do things with the pastor. Maybe the congregation is at a point where they get to participate in ministry, even from a young age. And so it opens the door to be uh, an opportunity as senders of people for ministry.
1: Uh, uh, Wes Bartell from Rural American Ministry says 66% of the people in world missions, fully appointed world missionaries have a rural root of some kind. Now, only one third of the people. Our churches are about 43% rural, towns uh, to under 10,000 in, in the sons of God, but we only make up about one third of the people who go to church. So, out of the three million uh, people that attend AG Church, about one million uh, are in rural churches. However, two-thirds of the missionaries come out of that one million. You know what that means? Your rural church is four times as likely to produce a missionary as a city church. Isn't that amazing? We have the rural the ability. So the rural has this important part.
2: As we look at Jesus' ministry, he not only was born um, in Bethlehem that we know is very rural. Some people say that it was uh, only very small to some say up to about... Two hundred, So a a very small community that was known for raising wheat and sheep. So very agricultural basis, and actually a uh, wonderful analogy is they raised most of the sheep for sacrifice in Jerusalem. And Mm -hmm. Jesus as our our sacrifice was born in Bethlehem. And we see that he grew up in Nazareth, another very small community. And it's so small that we know that that people just thought nothing good can come out of Nazareth, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we just see all these things, and this is just minimal of what Jesus actually did. But all of his major things in ministry except for the cross and the things done in Jerusalem um, were done in a rural context. And actually, the cross was out in the country, and the tomb. So other
1: than the Passion Week, most of the New Testament is about rural ministry. So Jesus ministered rurally, he chose his disciples rurally, he trained his disciples rurally. And we believe that the rural church still has a prophetic voice to the broader church. If God chose to send his son into a rural environment to change the world, we believe that today the rural is is the place to raise up leaders for for the rural church and the broader church.
2: These are just three examples of where Jesus ministered in the villages. Actually, um, it, there's 26 different episodes of, it says that Jesus ministered in a village it's, it's here it says they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere and so many of the stories of healing that we read about happened in a village he sent his messengers ahead of him and entered into the villages, village of Samaria and then it says in a couple verses later and they went to another village it's just so interesting before I started looking at that I never thought about how many times Jesus did things in a rural community so in this map kind of shows us a little bit more distinction but here in the Galilean area where they did, Jesus did most of his ministry their history tells us there was about 204 <laughs> villages in that region and Jesus goes from village to village touching people's lives um, this map is a little bit fuzzy here. I'm sorry. Uh, but we can see that a lot of his ministry time was spent up here. And another thing, have you ever heard people say Jesus only ministered uh, to the is- Israel and that? But he goes up into Tyre and in that area and in the Phoenician area. And then we know that when he was young, he was in Egypt. So his ministry uh, touched the same... Uh, things as in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth.
1: So we have this expectation that ministry should happen rurally with strength. Of course, as you know, in America, there's uh, just under uh, 60 million people in rural. If you do an artist study, art is uh, uh, American re- religious data thing. You can look online, art of religion. And you can see how many people in 2010 that are going to come out soon, 2021, how many people were A.G., how many people were Lutheran, how many people were Catholic? And if you do that, only about half of the people in any community have any church affiliation. So in artist numbers, they, they say they're unclaimed by any church. So in your, if your town is a typical town, half the people in your town are unclaimed by any church. I know that's not always true, there's a, town, a county in North Dakota that, I, that uh, the numbers in the Lutheran and the numbers in Catholic are larger than the numbers in the county, so it's not it's always right, but that's mostly that's the case. That's shocking.
2: <laughs> so, how do we value the people in our community? Um, we need to respect how they function, the things that they do, the structures and traditions of our community and
1: there's a lot of unwritten things in a rural community yes yeah. if you don't get out and sort of understand all the unwritten sort of things that they're just verbal and spoken uh... then you're going to end up making cultural mistakes but you should have known it nobody nobody told you it's not written down but you should know that you should have done those kind of things so uh... that is something that happens in the rural community so and we, we need to, let's just pick up just okay, little you then. need to cherish the church like Jesus did um, uh, we use a piece with Mark Cosfeld that talks about the missional helix. And, and we need to learn to do good theological reflection, but we need to yeah. do good community reflection. Oftentimes, as uh, active people in uh, Pentecostal fellowships, we sort of get out and do stuff, and we don't reflect on things as well as we should. And when we don't reflect on things, sometimes we do things that don't really fit well with the community. So we cherish the church, cherish community, and value the community. And, of course, uh, there's some other pieces with that.
2: So... I just wanted to show you four different words in the New Testament that are used, um, that fit with a uh, rural area. So Kome is the word that's translated village in most of our Bibles. And there, um, Kome is usually an unwalled hamlet that had a smaller community Typically, there was about 20 homes, and maybe 150 to 400 people lived in a typical village. And um, they, there are 26, as I mentioned earlier, different places that Jesus is mentioned as going to a village. So he healed people. He raised people from the dead. He preached. He taught. And he did a lot of ministry within the villages. And Jesus said, spent most of his time, if you begin to you know, chart out of the Gospels, he spent most of his time, most of his teaching, most of his miracles and stories, and most of his training of the disciples were in the village setting.
1: The village is a natural place to raise up people for ministry, like, uh, like the 22 that uh, we just talked about with, uh, with uh, Pastor Phil, our friend Dennis Markart. Is a superintendent of the Northern New England District. He pastored for 25 years in a town of 2,500 people, and he sent 25 people to ministry out of that town. So th- there's this ability to nurture, to launch, to send out people, and and that's just a healthy place for us to invest our lives in a small town. Uh, tapas is mostly translated as a place. So there's there's uh, actually there's a number. Of, that Jesus went to a place, so even that is valuable to God. Did you know we need a theology of place? God cares about places, and so we can read uh, Jesus preached in a deserted place. Jesus sends a seventy out to minister in places. Would you send seventy people out to minister it's just where there's like one or two, one or two houses, or just a, 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 even a deserted place? Jesus' reputation. Notice this went out to every tapas, every
3: place.
2: The tapas were smaller than villages and typically they were like three or four um, farm places that were close together. I grew up, um, they called it the Smeal Place, which is quite interesting. It would be like this context. Um, our house was here, my grandma's house was there, and then there was another house that other people lived in. And, it, and when we'd say you're going to go to the meal place. That's what place actually means when we look at it in the Gospels. And sometimes we look at place as a real generic, you know, like a general word for place that we view it today. But it's really a rural uh, setting.
1: And so when we talk about that that Jesus goes to places, and Brad Roth, that we mentioned, who is the Mennonite writer, talks about... Every place should be where we would praise God. And people from every place should raise their voice to God. That means your town is a place that should voice this praise to God. And behold, I, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. So that was... What uh, Jacob says so he just goes he rests and he has a vision of God and he connects with God and so the name of that place was called Beth El house of Elohim house of God God wants to make your town a Bethel a house of God a, a place of praise and God delights and and is present in rural places and all places Can offer authentic praise to God.
2: So there's two more, we won't really talk about those, but the Korah, it's the regions that were between the cities or villages, and Jesus spent quite a bit of time there. And then the agra that we get the word agriculture, and that was also a rural place. But I want to ask you today, um, do you love The place where you are like Jesus loves, the place where he did ministry, like Jesus loved the villages. Do we love that way where we're willing to invest in that community? We're willing to raise people up. I'm going to tell you just a couple of stories of uh, villages, actually. uh, So
1: this is Crosby, North Dakota. Uh, a guy named G. Raymond Carlson was raised in the church in Crosby, North Dakota, former general superintendent, and was a guy. Every generation, Crosby has sent someone into ministry. Just a week ago Sunday, this young man was in church. We are doing an interim ministry in the church. And Mark was there with us. Because it's normative for churches to raise up people for ministry. And uh, that would be Crosby, North Dakota. So
2: this is the old church that they had? And every generation, isn't that exciting? Every church can send someone in every generation. And something that was, I thought, very touching that Mark said, he said, I was one of the only few in the youth group when I grew up. Sometimes we think, well, I just have a very few people. But yet he still was mobilized to uh, do ministry and graduated from Bible College this year.
1: We're taking some classes at AGTS, and this is uh, DeLon and Valerie Rance, they work in the area of intercultural studies. DeLon came from this metropolis of Eglin, North Dakota. How many people have ever heard of Eglin, North Dakota? It's so small that the church is now uh, combined with the church it can do. However, it was a great place of raising a people for ministry That's all that's
2: left of it is, today. Uh, that's all to that's left of Eglin.
1: But uh, Albert Rance went out from there. He was a well-known missionary in South America, DeLon Rance. But not just Alvin and Delon, but 47 people, either missionaries, missionary wives, pastors or pastor's wives, came out of Aikland Delon, Dakota. <coughs> A phenomenal place, the race that people for ministry.
2: And, uh, this is the town where I grew up in. Um,
1: it this did, is how Nadine looked when oh, I met her. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you didn't have to say that. But out of this youth group here, seven people are in full-time ministry today. Uh, Mary and Nathan Johnson, Carol, Nadine, Jeff, Donna, Greg. Oh, that's more than seven, isn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nine people. And then there's five other people that are in part-time kinds of things like worship leaders, board members, other kinds yeah. of things. And it happened because... These older people prayed, well, um, this is the mother of this lady. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for us. In our Sunday school class, almost every week, Dorothy Dutton would say, give God a year and go to Bible school and see what he'll do with the rest of your life. I mean, she said that to us over and over and over. But something happened because she would say, what is God calling you to do? She wouldn't say, what do you want to do with your life? She said, what is God calling you to do? And it changed the mindset of the people that sat in her Sunday school class week after week. What is God calling you to do? And there never was this idea that only guys could be in ministry. I never even heard of that. Until after we were married, I was so shocked that people might think women couldn't be in ministry. But Because she always told us, you know, anybody can be in ministry. And in fact, that church twice was pastored by two women. During the time of this particular time, the church had declined a bit. And they, um, you know, how sometimes in a rural community, the district wasn't sure it was going to survive. And there was two young ladies that graduated from college, and they wanted to pastor. And so they said, you can go to Newell. You can't hurt anything there. (laughs) Anyway, when they were there, they began to pray and seek the Lord and seek God. One day, Dorothy tells about, told us in Sunday school, it happened, well, sometime just before I was born, The fire trucks came to the church during service. And they said, somebody called in, your church is on fire because there's flames coming out the top. But it wasn't physical flames. Mm -hmm. It was the spirit of the Lord and a great revival. Many whole families were saved. And actually, these would be several of them are Either children or grandchildren of people that were saved, most of them grandchildren, in that revival. Isn't that yeah. incredible? Yeah. And God wants to raise up people. It was a little town. Today, the town I grew up in is six hundred. Was maybe seven hundred and some when I grew. Up. And you know, it wasn't a big place, but God called many people for ministry um, that are now. Even still today, missionaries, Bible school teachers, several of them, um, church planters, and pastors.
1: So if we understand that there are 29 million people in America that live rurally and growing that don't go to church. They're not claimed by any church. They're not claimed on the Catholic roles. They're not claimed on the Methodist roles. They're not claimed as some of the God people. They're not going to church. Yet this is an untapped resource for us to ch- touch the world, because we know clearly God said, "You receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and your witness is to be where Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth." Yeah. And we should have this expectation that we're raising up people for ministry. And oftentimes people say, "Well, you know, our little church can't raise up people for ministry." We believe every church can raise up people for ministry, and we believe that you are called. And so, occasionally, people go to a rural church, and we know that sometimes there's gray congregations. And so, as the church grows older, they think, "Well, you know, there's just older and older people there." And so, we we can't just we're, we're just sort of like a a, a assisted living sort of I don't know, we're just gonna, gonna take care of them till they're Friends, your church is not an assisted living place. I'm telling you, God called you for a mission. Now, you know, sometimes we write these mission statements for a church. And so we think, well, you know, our church has a mission. Friends, your church does not have a... God does not have a mission for your church. God has your church for his mission. The whole reason your church exists is to carry out the mission of God. And the mission of God is to go everywhere and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. And we to raise up people. It's just normative mm-hmm. expectation that we're finding people who mm-hmm. we'd raise up for the gospel. Are you going to change to the next one? Or?
2: In just a moment. But it's, uh, this verse is such an important thing. If you don't do anything else from this workshop, please let this become something that you do on a daily basis. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers to the harvest field, because the fields are widened to harvest. And we're called to pray that God would send labors, and those will be people in our own congregation.
1: And, and uh, a friend of ours named uh, Dr. Barnabas in Kilkombali, uh, General Subin in Tanzania, we were able to travel, raise some funds with him, and he would say over and over, A foolish son sleeps in harvest.
3: <laughs>
1: and then he would say, Elephant begat elephant, giraffe begat giraffe. Monkey begat monkey, pastor begat pastor, churches begat church, and he says districts begat districts because there's this whole understanding of multiplication. Amen. And they've really done that.
2: And they've gone, they started 10 years ago from 2,367 churches and added 10,000 churches. To in 10 years. So that is phenomenal. We in that same 10 years started with six times as many churches and added one less than a thousand churches. And so the phenomenal growth when we began to look at what God can do when we answer these questions. Romans 10:14 How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? How should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach unless they are sent? And really, he's backing up on that, on everyone, finding the reason. And so sending is such an important part of having someone to preach the gospel so they hear and believe and call in the name of Jesus. I encourage you that you are part of developing the sent ones.
1: It's normative expectation for us to send people out, and so the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, as they fasted and prayed, the Holy Spirit says to them, "Set apart from me Saul and Barnabas." Yeah. We have this expectation. So a lot of times, I know pastors say, "You know, I can't send them." They're like the best people in our church. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I if I send them, what are we going to do? And we were teaching on this principle in Madagascar a few years ago, and there's a guy named Paul Balila who is there, and, and he's a missionary from Tanzania to uh, Madagascar. And Paul tells us this incredible story. He came from a Muslim background, comes to Christ, was very fervent in his faith, and so he was raised up in the church and became a leader within the church right away. And after he'd been a leader some time, the pastor said, Paul, I want you to go over here and plant a church. And so Paul says, okay. Especially in, in, in Tanzania, if the leader doesn't do it, you are not have to do it. And, uh, and then at the same time, the, the pastor took some other leaders and said, hey, I want you to go over here and plant a church. And Paul said, I didn't know what the church was going to do. We were the best leaders in the church. And the pastor just sent us out to plant. Well, travel is not as easy there. And it was a couple years before he was able to come back to the church. He comes back to the church and to his amazement, he said the church had better leaders than we were when we left. And we have to have this expectation that the God, who calls people, can also replace people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we can have a normative expectation that we can send people out. And the rural church Mm -hmm. is gifted to send people out. Just a month ago, we were at the Wyoming District Council, and there was a young man there who was being ordained. And so Mm -hmm. we should have taken a picture of him. So this young man was being ordained at the Wyoming District Council, and he had come to Tensleep, Wyoming from the church in Licking, Missouri. That's my brother-in-law.
2: He's my whole that's town. Friend.
1: That's, my, that's he's, uh, my sister. is his wife. Cool. Wife. Yes.
2: We got to meet him. Yeah. So much We're, fun.
1: And so he came from Licking, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And, and Licking, so... There's no genius. Licking.
2: Uh, Licking. <laughs> now we know how to say it right, honey.
3: <laughs>
1: the town has a sign that says 3,000 people but you can't reach 3,000 people because 1,500 are a maximum security <laughs> prison, <Generality laughs> prison. And, and Paul Richardson went there as a young guy I think Paul was 24 years old when he went there and the church had declined and I think there was about 20 people when he went today when we preach there there's about post COVID there's about 150 people there wow. they're in a different building they've sent three people into ministry and, and uh, he had to cut one ministry he planned because he sent out your brother-in-law but he believed in the fact that you send people out.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Friends, the rural church has a call of God to send people. Yes, mm-hmm. you have a place. You have an anointing. It's not upon you have a you have this high ability. to gave you some of these stories and stats so that you can see that we can send the people out.
2: This is just a limited number. It's over and over. God says He will go with you, and sometimes we're not really sure about sending people out because we don't know if they, we've prepared them enough. But it's not us that is the one who provides all that they need. It's God. He says he will go with them. And the same Holy Spirit that helps us accomplish ministry will help them to accomplish ministry. So we see an amazing pattern in the book of Acts. I love this pattern. Over and over, people pray. If you look in the book of Acts, I think it's 47 different places it mentions that people pray. Then there's uh, outpouring of the Spirit. And proclamation happens uh, with demonstration and then churches are planted and they're perpetuated through raising up leaders and propagate to the next generation. Isn't that an exciting pattern that happens over and over? And it's supposed to be happening in our ministry as well. So that's
1: God's design. We believe this is normative behavior for the church. We say, well, my, my church is only like 30 people. My church is 80 people. My church is 100 people. But we have this belief that God has called us to send them out. So if you, uh,
2: we up, have these little boxes on your chair.
1: So if you take those little boxes,
2: and while we're talking about the next part, there's a piece of paper, and maybe a blank
1: paper that you have that's you. laying Yeah, I don't know if you have a pen or not. You know, don't poke your finger and write. But anyway, uh, <laughs>
2: so maybe as we've been talking, God's been talking to you about. Some people that you could raise up out of your church, and if you want to write their names while we're doing this next section, and you could uh, open your box and stick them inside, ready to send, okay? <laughs> and you could send them where? That's what you get to write on the outside of your box. Oh, if God oh, is talking to you about. And, and we're not we're not talking
1: about like you know we're doing an interim pastor in the church, and uh, the reason we're doing that is because there's some problem people, okay? So there's, we're not talking about the
3: problem people
1: we're talking about people that God has put his finger on. We believe that we need to continually have what we call the I, uh, actually we didn't make it up, uh, but uh, it's the I see in you congrega- uh, conversation. You use the letter I, then the letter C, the N, then you, but it means I see the grace of God in you. Mm-hmm. And would you consider uh, this journey of ministry? I, I just love what Phil said. Anybody that the pastor that he grew up uh, in the church with, he saw that they had the call of God on them. he said, you've got the call of God. You need to start teaching this boy Sunday school class. You've got the call of God, you begin to do this. We're at a, a church that was a uh, uh, Slavic church in Lincoln, Nebraska. The Slavic church in Lincoln, Nebraska, every Sunday they had two young people preach a five minute message.
2: Another one of our students, he has, uh, he says he's uh, in his six, late 60s, or middle 60s, and he feels God's wanting him to plant another seven churches before he retires. Wow. He says some of those are kids that are in high school today or junior high. So he sometimes has them preach one of the points of his sermon. You know, he sits down with them and goes through, this is what we're talking about, and I want you to do this part. So he is preparing them to be ready In the next, you know, they're not going to be ready tomorrow, but in the next few years. And so maybe when we were talking about different places that God can minister, you thought of some community and you could write that on the outside. And so we we have this expectation
1: that we have this strategy. So uh, we did some research a few years ago. Uh, We noticed that a whole lot of pastors were kind of older in rural congregations. And we saw that. Uh, Mind, there's there's a lot of people that look like they're approaching retirement age. And So we contacted the general secretary's office and, and said, uh, uh, what, uh, uh, how many how many of these pastors are going to reach age of 65 in the next five years? And we couldn't find a number. They they don't track that in our ACMRs. So we uh, surveyed eight districts and we found that the lowest number was Kansas, that had 41 percent of the pastors would reach age of 65 in the next five years of rural pastors. The highest district was 52, and most of the rest of them fell in between. That means that we have nearly 2,500 churches are soon going to go with uh, a pastoral change. Depending on where pastors are when they retire, we don't have a stream of people to go there. And I don't think the people are going to come from the city churches to to pastor those churches. It's going to be churches like yours and mine. So we have to have this expectation. We do that. So God gave us a plan called uh, Rural 311 that. We hope to see three people going to ministry out of a church in the next three years. We raise up three people to ministry.
2: For one mission empowered by one spirit. So that's so, where the 311 comes from. So we
1: have this expectation. And and uh, so if we do this, right now we have, uh, you have two pastors in your district that are each going to work to raise up 10 other leaders, that all of those 11 from each one would each raise up three so that 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 they would, uh, out of those 11, that they would raise up 33 leaders uh, for, uh, for this, for multiplication.
2: So the first of the three would be somebody that you had mentored that um, either like an apprentice kind of thing, they might do a succession or they, you may, if you're not in that stage of life, send them out. Um, another for multiplication, maybe church planting or pastoring a neighboring church that needs a pastor. And another one for the next generation we have to prepare for the next generation um, currently there's less people in the 30 and under that are credentialed than there was in the 80's and yet the sum of God is way bigger mm-hmm. so we desperately need to raise up a whole another generation that will um, be empowered by the Spirit to go and do ministry and
1: uh, just we'll pick the, we'll do this last slide so we want to, uh, our whole goal is that we we just raise up uh many people from ministry we call these 30 mighty multipliers two of those are here and uh th- and so that we do that let's let's jump So you
2: through. can talk to one of those guys if you would like to. So each of those if um if each of those raises up 3 and we do it again in 3 years and in 3 years so 300 that would be raised up by the um 30 10 you know do the multiplication times that would be 990 and then if those the next year
1: Uh, next and next three
2: next three years I'm sorry that's supposed to be an addition um, are added together times we'd be over almost 4,000 and if you do it again on the last three years of the 10 year cycle we could have um, 15,000 but our goal is 10,000 because we know some people aren't gonna Probably followed through.
1: So there's a couple questions. We say, well, why, why should we raise up 10,000 leaders? Well, because the Assemblies of God has uh, about uh, uh, 5,400 uh, rural churches. But in America today, if incorporated communities, there's more than 16,500 that are under 10,000. That leaves 11,000 communities that don't have an Assemblies of God church that are rural. That doesn't account for the, all the unincorporated communities uh, that are built around lakes and other areas and and scenic things. There's actually about 19,000 of those. Mm-hmm. So why do why do we do this? Because we believe the best place to reach America starts in the rural. Jesus started in the village, and, and we need to do that. I'm going to tell you two quick stories. Uh, four weeks ago tomorrow, I was at uh, we just finished up the Elk, Oklahoma District Council and, and God. Uh, I was. we'd been out late at night, we had a real pastor's breakfast, and then a, uh, the superintendent retired, and so there's all of these things running uh, uh, early and late. So Nadine was uh, resting, and I was up early praying, and God began to speak to me. And, and when God spoke to me, and, and, he, and, and he spoke to me about things I hadn't really been thinking about, and, and he said almost all the things that we see in America that are problematic have a similar root. And whether it's the civil unrest and riots, whether it's gender uh, disorientation, whether it's younger people that sort of kind of can't find their place, and he said it's fatherlessness, mm-hmm. and the fatherhood of God is under attack, and that the church is supposed to embrace the fatherless in their communities. And, and I had so much energy. I was praying, and God was just working in my heart. I was pacing back and forth, and I finally went out and I started walking around the motel because, you know, sometimes you pray. And then I started walking around the parking lots outside the motel, and, and I was just moved by what God was speaking to my heart. You now, how are we supposed? How's a church to embrace followers of those people? How's how a rural church supposed to touch followers of those people? Because they're not just in the cities. They're in your town too. So we, I came back in. Nadine was up doing her hair and been downstairs and the family the night before was coming in that weren't part of the, out of this conference at all, they just happened to be there. And the kids were pushing the cart in, and there was four kids, and it was late at night. Some of the stuff they put on the cart had fallen off. And so the mom and the dad and the kids were down in the breakfast area of this Holiday Inn Express, and, and so I kind of joked with the mom. I said, I, I saw your kids, and the stuff was falling off the cart. It reminded me when we had seven kids going into um, uh, a hotel, and, she said, well, that's so embarrassing. What well, was falling off. And I said, no, it's fine. She said, what are you doing here? I said, well, we're, we're uh, recruiting students for a rural master's program that we're hoping to open at Texas Oklahoma Court. She said, I want to talk to you. <laughs> and uh, so her husband was sitting down over there. And so uh, we went and sat down beside them. And she said, I believe God has a word for you. God wants you to minister to the fathers and put them into families. It was a longer thing I'm thinking, that wouldn't have been so impressive except the fact that I just had God talk to us so strong in prayer. I'm you know. wow. going to minister to the Father. and put them into families. And I, I didn't understand what to do with that. You know, How does that fit? How does that work? Uh, just uh, a week and a half ago, we were helping uh, Global do some things, and, and Paul Richardson was sitting across the table from me. And he said, have you, have you met Ron Moran? And uh, Ron pastors the church in... Um, in uh, Springfield. He said it's not a real large church, 250 or 300 people. But he said uh, they are phenomenal at raising up people for ministry and for missions. They've sent up more missionaries than almost any other church. And so I called uh, Ron last week and uh, I started talking to Ron. He said we owe over 100 mentees that are uh, are serving the Lord all over the world. Many of them are, are fully appointed missionaries. You know what that means? He's 20 years there. They've sent an average of about five missionaries out every year out of a church of about 250 to 300 people. Those are phenomenal numbers. (laughs) Uh, That's unbelievable. And here's what he told me. He said, part of the people we're raising up are the fatherless. Mm -hmm. And he said, we can give them an identity. And we can give them a place. And friends, I believe that every one of you has an amazing ability to raise up people to send them out. It's not just for somebody else. It's for you. And if all of us will do this, if all of us will... You know, the the promise of God over over, uh, Adam was that he would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I believe that's a prophetic word for this group here today. That you be fruitful, you multiply, you fill the earth. God has an anointing upon you, has a place for you. It's not just for you as somebody else. It's not just for the big church. It's for your church. It's for the ordinary church that you pick that person up and you say, Hey, I noticed, I see the grace of God in you. I, I see that. It's for the second career person. But please don't overlook the fatherless. Some of those rabble-rousers and troublemakers and other people are desperately looking for an identity. And if you can lead them to the fatherhood of God and say, I know your heart is broken, I know your life is broken, but there's a God who loves you. And He can make you new on the inside. And, but then, friends, you can't do, you can't do spiritual parenting long distance. They have to have your cell phone number. They have to be invited to your fro- your home. At some point, they have to have refrigerator rights. <laughs> and raising up people is not convenient, but it's a calling. Take just a moment and tell about Savannah.
2: So, our daughter um, was roommates in college with a, a girl that... Um, we heard her give her testimony. She said, "I was the girl that when I came to youth group, the other parents didn't want their kids hanging out with me." She grew up in a home that every everybody was doing drugs. The parents gave them drugs, the alcohol. When at one point when she was uh, charity called me, she said, "Mom, today Savannah told me that every one of her family are either in the penitentiary, jail, or dead." And you know she just had a, a very difficult upbringing and the pastor and his wife loved her and they became like parents to her she actually lived with them for a while while she was in high school and then she um went to bible college from their home and we she just graduated with her master's degree um a few, few ago. weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, right, and those pastors were there as her parents and because they have loved her and been with her all along the way, but she was it wasn 't a big youth group, and she said something that 's so profound. she said, "Do for one what you wish you could do for many, mm-hmm. and sometimes the rural churches we feel like well we don 't have 50 kids in the youth group, 100 or whatever, maybe there's only a few, a handful, but still we can love them and mentor them and raise them up. And it's not just for the high school kids, it's for the other generations as well. We can mentor them and raise them up. There's a man, 65, that started coming to the church that we are helping right now and Dwight's been fathering him. He's older than he is, right? And yet he needs a father because his own father rejected him as a child. And we can love those people where they are. This man, um, we need to end here. But he uh, he came and brought this big ammo case to church the other day.
1: So we were having He
2: asked Dwight to help him carry it in because it was too heavy for a uh, man to carry and he's a strong man and when they opened it up, it was change he'd been saving towards building a new house and he brought it to give to BGMC.
3: Awesome.
1: Awesome.
2: When they took it to the bank, tell him how much it was.
1: He said there's probably 350 or $400 in it. We made a mistake. <laughs> I should have gone through the quarters to see which ones are old, but
3: uh. I didn't do that. <laughs>
1: But uh, there was $1,109 mm-hmm. by a guy who was really rejected by his father. His life didn't go. But I, I, I'm just asking every one of you, will you embrace people? Will you embrace people? Will you, will you lift them up? Will, will you send them out? Friends, if every church will embrace people, lift them up and send them out, the future is amazing.
2: And we can be like the Acts 13 and they were praying, and what did they do? The Spirit says, separate to meet Paul and Barnabas. And we see the great expansion of the church and the missionary journeys. And the expansion of the church can happen from your church, not just from Antioch. Well,
1: I want to just pray a prayer blessing for you. And if, if you'd like to join World 311 and raise the three leaders, there's going to be more resources. Actually, Ron Moran, I was talking about, he's on our next Zoom call, and these guys can tell you about that. Can you just talk to them and say, Hey, I want to be one that raises up three. Maybe I can't raise up three, but I want to raise up one. I want to raise up people from ministry who want to do that. And then the, the last piece, if, we'd love to have you join us. Um, uh, I, we've now, we're now in our fifth cohort. Uh, we believe that we're supposed to give rural leaders a voice. And learning to have a voice means leading at a higher level, learning to write at a higher level. And so if you want a voice, we can help you do that. We can get you in a real master's program. We'd love to do that tomorrow when we're to away a scholarship. Let's pray. Would you just extend your hands?
2: Jesus. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit. Oh, see, dia, she, you oh, said in Luke chapter 4, and you quoted from Isaiah
1: 61 The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty those that are bound. And Lord, everyone in this room is anointed to do that. And I pray a special knowledge of that anointing would rest upon them. Lord, I pray that every person in this room when in Isaiah 61 manner, that you said today this is fulfilled. We know this is New Testament spirit-led Christianity, to give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that everywhere that we could raise up trees of righteousness, that you would have planted and you'd be glorified. We live in some dying communities and you said that you'd raise up the ruins, the desolations of former generations. And so, Lord, we speak to these rural communities. like. Ezekiel we say dry bones hear the word of the Lord. We say dry bones live again. We prophesy to the rural church. We say rural church you become the mighty army that God has called you to be. We pray for your anointing. We know God that you have a place for everyone here. We know that you are raising up people and your call is upon them. I ask that the Illinois district would send out such an army. The rural churches would raise such an army that they would have a prophetic voice in the church that they raise up literally hundreds and
3: hundreds of leaders for your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.